Good afternoon, everyone. It's Dr. Nigro again with our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. Uh, truly thankful to all of our listeners. I uh, really appreciate this uh, opportunity to speak to as many people as possible about a variety of topics. And um, today I'm going to focus on a topic that has a lot of personal relevance for me. And I'm going to kind of intersect my personal experiences with my professional experiences. So uh, March 30th will be the one year anniversary of the death of my father. My father was my best friend. Um, He would fly out to visit us in Massachusetts. Um, We'd fly back to Chicago um, he, myself, my wife, kind of like the three amigos, and we traveled the world together, uh, obviously prior to the pandemic. Um, grief is a pretty broad topic. Uh, I think all of us have either experienced it or have witnessed it or at least heard about it or known somebody who's gone through it. Now, my mother died at a young age, and her death was different than my father. Um, I was out to dinner. Uh, my dad had just retired. They were staying in an extended stay hotel. Um, I talked to my mom. Uh, I was the youngest of three brothers, so I was mama's boy. So uh, I was out to dinner with a friend, and I remember getting a phone call from a number I didn't recognize. Um, woman said Northwest Community Hospital and I just knew I don't remember how I knew um, so I drove to the hospital I remember walking it was very eerie in the emergency room and I said I'm looking for Pat who's my mom and I could tell the young girl behind the desk was she didn't know what to say and she took me down by the family consultation room and I just knew And I remember walking in, and my dad was in tears, just remember her makeup down her cheek and just kissing her and saying, goodbye, Mama. I love you. And I went outside and remember what I did after that. Um, With my father, he was out for my stepson's uh, wedding, and wasn't feeling great. He had some nausea and some stomach problems. We went to go into the doctor, and uh, they were doing uh, urea breath tests, and they couldn't find anything. So long story short, he was, I remember walking out of an office where I was doing a neuropsych eval at about 1 o'clock, and my dad and I talked every day, a couple times a day. And he said, my liver enzymes are elevated i have to go to the hospital and it was like one of my worst fears is starting to be realized Uh, i remember going home um uh, booked a first class flight back to chicago for the next morning um i didn't really know what it was and it turned out to be a rare form of bile duct cancer so he got into treatment at through Northwestern University, but it's it's a type of cancer that really 
really does a number on you and does it pretty quick. So um, we flew out, my wife and I uh, spent Christmas with him, and he was doing well in chemo. And I remember on March 10th, uh, I was driving to private practice, and I called, um, it was Tuesday because that's when he had chemo, and I called and I said, hey, Pop, how'd it go? He's like, I, I can't talk, talk to your brother. And you guys have heard my brother. He's pretty intense, but um, he said, Dad's dying. He's got two weeks left to live. They're putting him on hospice. And I remember vividly where I was. And though this is you know, segueing off. This is what it called, it's called a flashbulb memory. And this was a theory developed by... Brown and Kulik, and flashbulb memories are kind of embedded very deeply into our memory systems, and they typically are encoded when you have an unexpected event with a high degree of emotionality. And they did a lot of research based on people's experiences with uh, JFK's assassination. So it wasn't shortly after that that they stopped treatment uh we actually drove and this was at the beginning of the pandemic drove back to chicago my wife and i, I think we drove straight through um and i talked about it, just how eerie that was and i got to spend a good week with him but i had told him i said i uh and it was right around his 81st birthday i said i'm not saying goodbye and i remember walking out of the house and just breaking down because I knew the finality. And that's one of the things that's very hard to deal with. I think not only as humans, but as a mental health medical professional is dealing with the finality of things. So when we talk about grief, um, grief isn't necessarily synonymous with death. Uh, we could grieve the loss of a job. We could grieve the loss of a relationship. We can grieve the loss of anything. It's a subjective experience. I've said this before, I think in the episode about perception, two people can experience the same event and have two totally different reactions. Now, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross is the person who developed the kind of the stages of grief. And I remember them, just my training is DABDA. The first stage being denial. We don't want to admit that this, we'll stick with individuals in this, in this example, that this individual is no longer there. Um, <clears throat> the second stage is anger. Anger oftentimes directed towards God, uh, a higher deity, um, the medical field, even at ourselves, we could have done more at family members. Uh, the third stage is bargaining. You know, please take me, God. I want to trade places because this pain is unbearable. Uh, the fourth stage is depression. And that's a stage that people tend to stay in for the longer, longest period of time of the five stages. And the fifth stage is acceptance. And these are not linear stages. It's not like you stay in denial for three weeks and then you graduate to anger and then you graduate. To, you ebb and flow back and forth between these. And there's a concept I came up with called, you know, we, we mourn memories um, with memories of the past 
We all have them, but there's also something that we can mourn and grieve, which is something I've called memories of the future, things that have yet to be. So I'm, if you take a relationship, for example, and that relationship no longer exists, say a couple breaks up, people can grieve the memories of the future, grieve the house that they're never going to have with that person, grieve the children that they're never going to have with that person, grieve all of those experiences. So, you know, it's memories of the future coupled with memories of the past. And in, in dealing with grief, allow yourself to feel. Allow yourself the ability to break down. It's cathartic. And I'll be honest with you, there's many times I've broken down for my father. I don't like it, but it, it it's, it's cathartic. It, it's a release because if you don't discharge those emotions, they will come out somewhere. And they could come out in more destructive forms. Uh, alcohol use, drug use. Um, who wants to feel this pain? Um it, I'm very fortunate and, and grateful to be spiritual. I was born and raised Catholic. Uh, I think I've become more spiritual as I've, as I've gotten older. And um, as I mentioned, I'm a, a Bruce Springsteen fan, and he wrote a great song um, called Jesus Was an Only Son off the Devils and Dust record. And he talks about Jesus as as someone's boy, as someone's child. And was one line in there that really kind of helped, and I kind of go back to sometimes when I think about my father and belief in a afterlife. Uh, he said, you know, Jesus kissed his mother's hand, said, Mother, still your tears, for remember the soul of the universe willed a world, and it appeared. And to have hope in something beyond uh, this life does it take away the pain no we want people back we want the job back we want the relationship back we want the pet back this is there's no amount of education that inoculates you to the pain that sometimes living brings and we often lose ourselves in work to do and bills to pay and and people don't get replaced and it's important to acknowledge you have a right to feel. It's it's also a great opportunity to go into therapy to talk about this. Um, it was very helpful that you know my wife doing what she does as a psychiatric prescriber, but having a therapy background that I was able to kind of turn to her, and and she got it because one she was close to my father, but two she was also able to understand the process of how grief manifests and it manifests differently in different people and also in different cultural significances um, or, or or traditions, and. I, just, I wanted to share this from a personal perspective because, you know, during the pandemic, you see the numbers on TV, uh, how many people have died. And I I couldn't even say goodbye to my father. Uh, fortunately, my brothers being police officers, they were, at least, they were able to at least be there to see him buried. But I remember him saying, can you bring my suit back? And I'll never forget hanging a suit in the car knowing full well what the reality was and the pain so as a as a neuropsychologist again i don't do a lot of therapy but i, I see patients who've, who've 
definitely grieved, and I know my wife has worked with a, a lot of people who've who've grieved, uh, especially over COVID, um, not being able to visit people in nursing homes or in the hospitals. Um, it's a it's a fundamental human experience, and there's no recipe. I gave you the five stages. Allow yourself to stay in whatever stage that you are in. Do they say you know time heals all wounds? It does. But you're always going to have those reminders. You're going to hear that song that's going to make you think of a person. You're going to hear uh, a smell something. And smell is the most powerful trigger of memory. So my dad loved uh, uh, Eternity by Calvin Klein. So if I ever smell that, I immediately have had thoughts of my father. Um, but I, again, I wanted to share this from a personal perspective because... Um, Death is final. It 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 but it doesn't mean relationships can't continue. It just they continue on a different level. And if you have a spiritual connection, uh it certainly helps in that process. But therapy is also a really good vehicle. Um therapy is is is, is tough because you have to allow the person to experience what they're going through, um, we actually have a, a, a disorder called bereavement disorder that says if you're still grieving after six months, there's something wrong. I've never diagnosed it. Um, I don't plan on using that diagnosis, but I find it kind of interesting that we even have that in our diagnostic manual. So I guess the takeaway message is, is it sucks. There's, I, don't have, I don't have a better clinical term for it. It, it sucks. But um, I can say that you know, through loss, I, you know, through just a culmination of experiences, you know, there, there's textbook knowledge, there's there's clinical training knowledge, and then there's just life knowledge. And so when people talk about the loss of a parent, if I'm doing like a, an intake or a neuropsych eval, I can empathize on a completely different level and connect with people. Do I wish that ever happened? No, not at all. But have I taken it and used it in a different capacity to gain deeper insight, understanding into what the person sitting across my desk is telling me and what they are experiencing? Absolutely. But, you know, there's good days, there's bad days, and that's okay. Again, the takeaway message is allow yourself to feel, but do not allow yourself to stay stuck. If you, you know, the analogy is like if you eat bad food, it's got to come out of one of two places. And until it does, you remain psychologically constipated. So by allowing yourself to emote, allowing yourself to talk, allowing yourself to stay within the bounds of appropriate behaviors and know that if you're kind of edging into things, you know, you know, if you're in the anger phase, you know, don't don't become aggressive towards other people. If you know, if you're in the depression phase, be mindful of how deep that depression is going. Are you having suicidal thoughts? Are you having um it, it it really just it goes in waves, and I and I can tell you from experience it goes in waves. There's, yeah, I I have my dad's glasses that he wore, and every day I walk out the door on my way to work, I always kiss his glasses. And there's a picture of uh, him, and my uh, of my wife and I getting married, and he was my best man, and um, I kiss it every day out on 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 the way out. So, uh, like I said, no no. There, there's no medication for this. There's no, um, 
there's no magic pill. There's no magic book. It's it's through understanding, connecting, talking, celebrating, and um, you know his birthday is on March 23rd. And one of the things that he loved to do, uh, you know, being born and raised uh, Italian, he his grandmother he she always wanted to. to, to but his name was Joe. I was like. Joey, stir the sauce. Joey, stir the sauce. And my dad always loves stirring the sauce. So one of the things he would love to do when he would come out with is make linguine and clams. So that's how I'm going to honor him on his birthday. And, you know, I can celebrate him now. A year later, could I have celebrated him a month or two afterwards? Absolutely not. I wasn't there. I wasn't ready. And that's the ebbing and flowing in the waves. So... Hopefully, my personal experiences have shed some insight um, into grief and loss. Uh, look up the stages of grief by Elizabeth Kubler Ross, and again, reach out to mental health professionals if you find that it's just too much, too overwhelming. Because um, there is no manual for this. Until next time, be well. Uh, take care of yourselves and each other. And as always. Be independent of the good opinions of other people. Take care, everyone. Thanks. Bye-bye.